0: Good evening, church. We're here tonight to look at answered prayer. I hope you have your paper and either a pencil or a pen. I'm glad that you're here with us. Uh, thanks to Brother Galen and his expertise that we can do this even in the midst of a pandemic. Please be careful. The numbers are rising, the danger is real, and we don't want to experience that in the church or we don't want our church members to be sick and afflicted. We're we'll going to be at Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. I'm really going to look at the whole chapter, so be patient with us tonight. Here's what it says. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, so James the apostle, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he arrested him, He put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with chains, with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up and said, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. He said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and fought him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seen a vision. And when they were uh, past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel disappeared from him. Then Peter uh, (coughs) came to himself and he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark is the one who wrote Mark, the gospel of Mark, okay? It says specifically the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And many were gathered together together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You're beside yourself. She kept insisting that it was so, so they said, It is his angel. Now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go tell these things to James. That's James, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church of Jerusalem. He said, Go tell it to James and the other brethren. Okay, that would be the other apostles. And he departed and went to another place. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went out and down to Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. We're going to pause there and go over this first part and uh, then look at the last part of the chapter. Uh, let's pray. Father, give us your wisdom and insight into this. Teach us about prayer and, Lord, how our prayers are answered by you, whether we believe so or not. And, Father, strengthen our faith that we would pray in a way that is pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, now for your pencil and paper, I want you to write down a couple of questions and then try to remember an answer or write down an answer. The first question is this. Is there a time... Has there ever been a time when you prayed and prayed and and you asked for God for something and he just basically said no and you were so disappointed? And then later, looking back on it, you see how that would have been detrimental to you and you were thankful for God that he didn't answer that prayer the way you wanted it answered. If you can think of a time like that, then write it down. I can remember uh, being a young pastor that a large uh, pulpit committee had sent word to me that they were coming. It's from my home church in in Hot Springs, the Second Baptist Church, and they were a large church, way past my capacity to lead. And I was just excited, and and just just sat down and prayed, God, just give me the message that they need to hear, and and Lord, uh, uh, just be with me this week. And I prepared hard all that week as usual, and and then that morning, nothing, nobody showed up. Well, they during the middle of the week he changed plans and went to hear another guy in Kentucky. And he had his doctorate and et cetera, et cetera. He was an excellent preacher, uh, far better than me. And they ended up calling him. And he hadn't been there a year when trouble began to abound. And the church, by the time he was there, a year and a half split in half. 800 went with the new church, 800 and something stayed with the old. But during that year and a half, they put him and his family through turmoil, through through the fire. They were awful. And I had to thank God that he hadn't answered my prayer. Lord, let this be so. Because it would have probably destroyed me and any chance I had of future ministry. Now, the second question is this. Can you jot down a time when you prayed and God answered it just almost immediately, almost in a sudden or dramatic way? And uh, I can remember... uh, Again, being a pastor in a a church in North Little Rock and uh, there was an individual who I, I don't know how to say it. it's not right to say he had power but let's put it this way if he was for the budget the budget passed if he was against the budget the budget wouldn't pass if we were trying to do a ministry if he thought it was a good idea the church would vote to do it if it was a bad idea the church if he thought it was it wouldn't go he basically held sway on what the church did or didn't do and he and I sort of we, we didn't get crossways, but, but we didn't agree. As a matter of fact, we had direct opposite ends. He, he visited in my office, and I figured this was it, that he was going to mount a, a charge against me. And I was very interested to hear what he had to say. And, and I'd been praying all night, because I was so upset about it, I'd been praying all night that God would take care of this. And he began to talk about how he liked the way the church was, the people we had. He didn't see a need for all these new people to be joining the church, and that, that especially some of the ones that I was bringing in didn't do the church any good. He he couldn't believe they could be tithers. They weren't, quote-unquote, his kind of folks. And he believed that's the way the church should be, take care of his kind of folks. And I told him that to the best of my ability, whoever God led us to in our community whether it's black or white or Hispanic, rich or poor, educated or uneducated, if God led us to their doorstep and they responded to the gospel of Christ, we were going to invite them to be members of our church and join by baptism. He said he just didn't disagree. He just didn't, couldn't agree with that and wouldn't agree with that. And he said, "I'm telling you what, Pastor." He said, "I'm done fighting this fight. I can see that it's going to be a long, hard battle between you and I." And he said, "I'm just going to leave." I'm just going to leave and those that want to go with me can go. But I'm not going to fight. And I promise I'm not going to say anything bad against you anymore. I'm just going to leave. And so he did. And there were five or six families that went with him. I grieved over that for just a little while. And then God started doing some really amazing things. First of all, we didn't have a fight that would end up in a church split or me being fired one or the other. Secondly, because that bitterness was gone from the church, that year we baptized 35 and had 35 joined by a letter. The church just began to grow uh, because the, the bitterness was out and there seemed to be a sweet spirit developing within the church. Eventually, a few of those came back that had left. And it seemed to err their ways. And they said, he really thought we couldn't make it financially without him, is what they told me. And secondly, without his leadership, he was sure the church was doomed to fail and fire me like they should have. And God just took care of that. He just answered it in a dramatic way because this guy was a fighter. He was known for that, and he just got up and I'm done. It was very dramatic to me. And maybe you have even better uh, things that you wrote down how God dramatically answered your prayer. Now, I'm going to look tonight, and you you heard the story, at a dramatically answered prayer. But what I want us to realize, God did this in spite of some of those praying. You didn't really believe it would happen. I know that from what scripture tells me. They didn't really believe God was going to deliver Peter, and he did it in a dramatic way. But the truth of this scripture is something we need to remember. God answers our prayers often in spite of us. God answers our prayers often in spite of us see God is faithful to his children he answers our prayers he especially answers them when they're according to his will and when uh, they're going to bring glory to him he answers them when there's work to be done and he's going to deliver some people we need to understand that and so we're going to answer uh, God answers prayers and remember this, that he's faithful to answer us. So let's look at this scripture a little more. First of all, realize the background. Verse 1 gives us some of that background. It says this. Now about that time, okay, that's after, (coughs) we're going to discuss it after several things have happened in this new church. About that time, Herod the king, Herod's son, stretched out his hand to ask some from the church, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. then he tells us it was dying during Passover and he kept him there. So what's the background? What's the situation? Really, the situation is a deadly one. Uh, The church has been birthed at Pentecost is what's happened. Christianity was spreading like wildfire. Seven deacons had been appointed to serve the widows. The apostles were teaching and preaching and doing miracles. Stephen, uh, one of the seven, had been martyred. Uh, Saul, who had persecuted the church, had been the chief persecutor, had been converted to Christ and now preached Christ, crucified and raised from the dead. And we need to know that Peter had been performing miracles. He had raised Dorcas back to life. Uh, Cornelius. Cornelius. Uh, uh, the Gentile had been saved, okay? Antioch, the church there had been founded, and it was there that they were first called Christians, which means little Christ. That was their reputation. They were little Christ. They were living in such a way that Christ shown through their words, their deeds, their actions. That should be our goal, to be little Christ, Christians, of the party of Christ, representing Christ wherever we go. And all this breath was that and the Holy Spirit causing the church to grow. Everywhere was seemed like everyone and everyone, everywhere was coming to Christ. And then King Herod steps in. King Herod is a wicked, just like his father, Herod the Great, had been. And uh, the reason it's so dangerous is he arrested uh, James, the apostle, and had him killed with the sword. And then when he saw that it pleased Uh, the Jewish people, he had Peter arrested. Now, because he could probably remember Jesus being brought to him during that Passover time and all the tumult there, he decided to wait till after Passover. So it was during Unleavened Bread, head towards Passover, and Peter was kept in prison. Mark these words he intended to do to Peter just as he'd done to James. After all, James was an important apostle, but Peter was ahead. If you cut a uh, head off, this Christian movement will die, or so he thought. And so he arrested him. Uh, he was going to bring Peter out. And uh, there it is. Peter in danger of his life. There he is, Peter, chained between two guards, two more uh, guarding the way into the prison, and, and they switched out guards on a regular basis, a Roman cohort. Colbert. Can't say that word. So the situation was dangerous. Now, our situation may be dangerous today, but God is still able to deliver in spite of some of our unbelief. But we should rather have the blessing of belief knowing that God is able, that God is faithful, that he answers our prayers, that he's for his children, for you and for me, because of the blood of Christ upon us as we've accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to sound negative, but I want you to understand it's true. If you haven't accepted Christ, God doesn't have to answer your prayers. He doesn't have to hear your prayers. You're not his child. But if you have, he cares to hear for you. That's why he says, cast your cares upon him, because he cares for you. That's why the Bible says, I will trust in God, the God of my salvation. I will not fear. Do we understand that? So, trusting God, praying, believing. The second thing that I see here is, point B, is salvation was dramatic. So not only was the situation dangerous, the salvation was dramatic. When you read verses 5 through 16, we hear of it. Peter's in prison, the church is praying, is what uh, verse 5 says. Peter's kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God to him by the church. Then it goes on and says, Herod was about to bring him out that night, or the night before Herod was going to bring him out and put him up on public display and kill him before the Jews. That night, Peter was sleeping, chained between two guards. God sends an angel. Think about it. The light from the angel, the reflection of God's glory just fills the prison. Uh, There's such a deep sleep. The two soldiers sleeping with the guy chained between them felt safe. They're sound asleep. Peter's sound asleep. The light doesn't wake anybody up. That's a sound sleep but it's such a sound sleep that the angel has to read down and says he struck Peter in the side raised him up said get up put your shoes on put your outer cloak on come with me okay now I was wondering how could Peter not wake up in the midst of all that but you see Peter had already been delivered once from prison by God you find that in Acts chapter 5 verses 17 and 18 And Peter was just at peace. No matter what happened, live or die, he was in God's hands. Now, I'm not being fatalistic. God gives us sense enough to take care of ourselves and get out of harm's way. Or some of us he does. Uh, But he was at peace, whatever God's will was. James had been killed. Stephen had been martyred. Uh, If he was going to be martyred, he was at peace, sleeping, waiting for the day. See what God would do when he came before Herod and the rest of the folks. But that wasn't God's plan because, again, believers were praying. They would gathered in there. See, God had a plan, and he was going to uh, accomplish that plan. And he sent the angel. He loosed the chains. Um, he went straight to, uh, to where they go out the gate. They went down the street. The angel disappeared, and Peter went to where he knew the church would be gathered together praying. That's in verses 10 through 12. Now, there are a bunch of scared folks there. I mean, think about it. Nobody did anything about Stephen being martyred. Nobody did anything about James being martyred. And now Peter, the leader of all the apostles, is arrested and facing death. What's going to become of them? And they've been gathered together praying. Okay? What's going to happen next? And we see Peter knocking on that door, that gate, that door that led into the. In her house uh, where Mary, the mother of John Mark, one of Jesus' followers, was. And we need to understand that Peter knocks. And when the little girl, I don't know whether they had a peephole or what, when she peeks out and sees it's Peter, she's so excited she did not even open the door. She runs and tells everybody else, Peter's at the gate. Peter's at the gate. They won't believe her. They say, oh, you're beside yourself. You're seeing visions. And then somebody says, well, maybe it's his spirit. Maybe they've already put him to death. I can hear it. Can you hear it? When Peter just keeps knocking, they find the open door. They're just astounded. How could he be here? What exactly had they been praying for? That God would deliver Peter. Are we that way sometimes? Do we really pray believing God's going to do it, and then when he does it, we're just flabbergasted? Are we so surprised that God would answer our prayers that we don't really believe what we're praying for? Is maybe our prayer life weak because we don't have that element of faith knowing that God answers his kids? We need to strengthen our faith. Do we understand that? So Peter tells them what's happened. He says, now y'all go and, and you tell James, and you tell the other disciples, in other words, the other apostles. I can imagine the apostle John, he's lost his brother, he's grieving over that, and now one of his best friends, one of his mentors, Peter, is arrested. What's he going to do? Because it was always Peter, James, and John that were in that inner circle that went wherever Christ went, the closest of the close, and now it looks like two of them are going to be gone. But again, God... Answers our prayers often in spite of us for our benefit. All right, so even though he was upset, <clears throat> Peter is released. Now, the last scene comes in the verses I didn't read, starting with verse 20. The last scene of this chapter is a demonstration of God's power. Let's read it Acts 13, or Acts 12. Begin verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set date, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Uh, Josephus the historian says he wore reflective material almost like gold and as the sun was shining he glowed as he gave this oration and the people kept shouting the voice of a God and not of man the voice of a God and not of man then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died but the word of God grew and multiplied see it was a scene of God's power King Herod, the one who had arrested James and had him killed, the one who was going to kill Peter, the one who was going to stop this Christian movement, the one who was going to favor with the Jews that he ruled over, his power, his intellect. He had been at odds with Tyre and Sidon He'd cut their food supply off and they sued for peace and made a friend of his personal aid to give him an audience. And he stood up dressed in this royal robe with the sun shining off him almost like the angel was shining in Peter's time. And with the sun shining off, he gave an oration. And they began to sing, you know, the voice of a God and not of man. And he just gloried in it and reveled in it. You see, he'd been exposed to Jesus. He had seen the miracles done in Jesus' name. He had heard the gospel of Christ, and he refused God. And God struck him with an angel, and worms began to eat on him, and he was eaten alive by worms. And the word and the church continued to spread. COVID has interrupted our country. It has interrupted the world, but God is still on his throne. Maybe he gave this to halt us in our pride to remember who's really in control. Maybe he halted us to let us know that we take our freedoms that he has blessed us with for granted. Maybe we haven't praised him enough or prayed to him enough uh, about what's going on, and we need to pray that God would stop this pandemic and that he would stop it in its tracks, and he would gain glory, and he would bring a revival to the whole wide world. And we need to pray believing because God answers the prayers, our prayers, often in spite of us. We need to unite together and stop this mess. And only God can do it. Our hope is not in any other uh, form, any other place, any other person. And we need to remember that. Uh, The second point, Roman numeral number two that I want to give, are just the blessings. First of all, the first blessing I see here is that the devil stirs up opposition to the church. The church was used to just having everything their way. Uh, Paul had been converted, the opposition, the persecution seemed to have stopped, and all of sudden, The devil in the form of Herod stirs it up again and people are being killed. So how is that a blessing? Because sometimes we get a little complacent, a little comfortable, or I do. And I think the church there was getting a little comfortable. And God wanted to remind them that as Jesus suffered, we are called to suffer for God's glory. Sometimes we don't like that. But if you read the book of 1 Peter, he talks about suffering and how it shouldn't surprise us and how we ought to uh, hold fast our faith, which is bought by the precious blood of Jesus. So when you see things being stirred up, realize that oftentimes it's the devil and he stirs it up without the church and from within the church. Oftentimes he uses people in the church to cause the greatest harm to the church. So we need to be vigilant in prayer. What is it he says? He says, be be vigilant, watch out uh, for your, your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy then the second blessing is this all these things prove to us and we need to hold faith in this that our God is in control he has a plan, he will work the plan he will come about as he sees fit and we need to be in on the plan with him he's in control The third blessing, God does answer our prayers in spite of us, and it means we have to pray even sometimes when we don't know exactly what to pray for or when we don't feel like it. We need to pray, trusting God that he helps us, that Jesus intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, that the Spirit makes groans for us. All right? It's the Spirit in us, yielding for God, the Spirit above us, that brings us into the power in prayer. The last blessing is this. As we struggle in faith in our prayers, we grow spiritually. As we struggle in faith with our praying, we grow spiritually. God intends for us to depend upon him. God intends for us to learn that he alone is dependable. God intends for us to know that he loves us beyond any shadow of a doubt. God intends for us to know that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus totally and completely. God intends us to know these things and we do that as we spend time with him in the word and in prayer, fellowshipping with him, communing with him. We don't need another program. We don't need another person. We need God. And we need to develop that relationship enough that we trust him to pray to him, to answer our prayers and we need to believe that he wants to do that for us. And so the last question on your piece of paper that I want you to write. And then you answer this yourself. Do I believe God wants to answer my prayers? Do I believe God wants to answer my prayers? I hope maybe this has helped you think about your prayer life and how God answers them. And I ask that you would be praying for our church and for our community our state our nation pray for our christian brothers and sisters around the world again who are suffering just for the name of christ and pray that god will end this pandemic and bring glory to himself and that will cause a revival to break out worldwide especially in our land have a good evening remember your church staff loves you if you need us give us a heart thank you